All right. Isn't it good to be in church this morning? Amen. I tell you, what a great place to be. I just thank the Lord that we have a place that we can come to and gather together. You know, so uh, thank the Lord for that. All right, Colossians chapter number 1, and uh, we're going to pick it up in verse number 1, and we're going to read all the way down to verse number 14, okay? Colossians chapter 1, verse number 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timotheus, Timotheus, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ which are at Colossae, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which ye have to all the saints. For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you, as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit, as it doth also in you, since the day ye heard of it, and knew the grace of God and truth. As ye also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all, pleasing, being faithful in excuse me, fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to His glorious power unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Now, what I want to do is I want to, Lord willing, I'm going to preach a series of messages, and tonight, or this morning, will be a, it'll be simply our position as a church-age saint. I'm going to preach a series of messages under the heading, what we have as a church-age saint, but we're going to take it out of Colossians chapter 1, and I'm going to talk to you this morning about our position. You and I have a position. Now, Paul is talking to the church at Colossae here, the Colossians, and as he's talking to them, he's talking to these saints. He says, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, and so he's talking to saved people, children of God, and In verse number 5 and 6, he says, For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before the word of the truth of the gospel. So these folks had heard the word of the truth of the gospel. Then he says, Which is come unto you, as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit. That's what the gospel will do. The gospel will bring forth fruit. If it's preached, the Bible talks about that his word shall not return void. And so it will bring forth fruit as it doth, he says in verse 6, also in you. See, it's not just that it produces outward fruit. It produces inward fruit as well. And that's what the word of the, of the truth of the gospel will do. And he says, when? He says, since the day ye heard of it and knew the grace of God in truth. It's not just enough to hear the, the grace of God, but you've got to know the grace of God. Then it can bring fruit to you. You can't know the grace of God without knowing Jesus Christ. You can know about it. You can know about him, but you've got to and must know him. So Paul says that there was a day when they heard 
heard the grace of God and there was a day when they came to know the grace of God. So we see that they know the grace of God but now there's other things that are mentioned here in the passage and that's where I want to spend and labor for maybe the next few services or it may be a hit and a miss. We'll just kind of cherry pick the days that we, we take this series and we preach on it because there's several points that I want to bring out. And, but there, and So that's what we want to talk about. Though they may know the grace of God as you read this chapter, you're going to find there's a lot of other information that Paul gives too. And so that's what we're going to talk about here in the upcoming days. But here this morning we're going to talk about the fact that we have a position in as a church age saint. And now as a church age saint, you've got a lot of things. You've got a lot of benefits and I've got, I've got several messages where I've preached on that down through the years of what we have in Jesus Christ. But here in Colossians chapter 1 is where we find ourselves this morning. So that's where we're going to take our points from. So we notice that we've got a position. We've got a position. Well, number one, we notice, he says in verse 2, to the saints. Notice one of your positions in a, as a church age saint is that you are church, church age Christian is that you are called a saint. Now, what a wonderful thing it is to be called a saint. I'm glad to know that right now I can know that I am a saint of God. 1 John 5.13 tells me that I can know right now that I'm saved. I don't have to wait till the day I die and get to heaven, but I can know right now if I place my faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, I know that I know that I know that I am a, I'm saved and I'm a saint of God. Now you may look at me and say, you don't look like much of a saint. You don't talk like a saint. Well, but I assure you, somewhere on the inside there's a saint inside there. He may not be on the outside. He might not be all kind all the time and nice and he might be selfish at times but I assure you that there's somebody on the inside that God declares to be a saint. So we notice that we don't have to wait till we get to heaven in order to be declared a saint. Uh, in Romans chapter 12, this is very important by the way, that's why I'm, I'm bringing you to these points here, but I'm going to come to Romans chapter 12 and verse number 13. Romans chapter 12 and verse number 13, Paul says this. He says, uh, distributing to the necessity of saints given to hospitality. So he's talking about giving to the saints. He's, talk about, uh, he's talking about giving to the saints. Well, how can you give to the saints if, if they're, it's a reference to the dead? You see, so right now, we're talking about saints right now, in, in, right in this very moment, if you've trusted Jesus Christ, you are a saint right now. You're not waiting to become a saint. In Romans chapter 15, in verse number 25, Paul says this. He says, but now I go unto Jerusalem to minister unto the saints. He's not going to the cemetery to minister to dead people in the grave. He's ministering to real living, breathing, eating, walking, talking, gum-chewing, whatever kind of saint you want to add to that right there. He's talking about living people to be saints. You and I aren't waiting to become saints. We are saints right now. Now let's look at one more in Romans 16 and verse number 15. He says, Salute Philologus and Julia, Nereus and his sister Olympus, and all the saints which are with them. I don't imagine they're walking around carrying dead people with them, are they? These are living, breathing people is who they are, and they're called saints. You and I are not waiting to be saints. We are saints. Now, why do you say that? Well, there's a very huge religious church named the Roman Catholic Church that they, what they do is they call it canonizing people. They canonize people. And what that is is that's just a process in which the church declares a person to be a saint. And it's after they're dead. You can't be a saint while you're alive. You're, you, you are declared a saint when you're dead. I think it took several years for Pope 
John Paul, the whatever it was here recently there, that they declared him to be a saint. And what that is, is that's just the act by which the Catholic Church declares a person who has died to be a saint. And so the process of becoming a saint in the Catholic Church after you're dead can take years. It can take decades. It can take a long time. But here this morning, I'm glad to know that I don't have to wait till I die to be called a saint. I'm glad that I don't have to wait on a religious institution to tell me and to declare to me that I'm a saint, just like the Roman Catholic Church does. I'm glad according to the Bible, I'm glad according to the book of books, I am now a saint in Christ Jesus. Now, you know, don't curl back on me when I talk about other religions and stuff like that. I'm giving you the Bible here this morning. We can forget about what other religions want to talk about and what they want to say. What does the Bible say? After all, isn't that what we're interested in? I'm most interested in what God has to say, not what man's religion has cooked up and they've cooked the books and things like that. I'm glad the Bible says, but to as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. You see, he says in 1 John chapter number 3 and verse 1, 2, and 3, but now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. I'm not waiting to be a son of God. I am a son of God right now. There's somebody, there's something on the inside of me that when God looks at me, he sees a saint. And if you're saved, he sees the same thing too. So when Paul said here in Colossians chapter 1 to the saints, he wasn't talking about a bunch of dead people. When Paul said this, he wasn't talking about people who had been canonized by the Roman Catholic Church. Paul was talking about living people that was on this earth currently at the time that he spoke those things. He said to the saints, and that's who he was talking to. Now, as a church-age saint, you and I have got some benefits. I'm just going to list a few of them. We're not going to turn to these because I want to labor in another area. But we see... In Romans chapter 8 and verse 27, Jesus Christ makes intercession for you and I, for the saints. He is in heaven right now at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you and me. In Romans 15 and verse 25 and 2 Corinthians 8 and verse number 4, because you and I are a saint, we can now be ministered to. You couldn't be ministered to before you got saved like you can be ministered to now as a saint of God. Uh, your service in the Lord can be accepted now that you're a saint. Romans 15 and verse number 31. In 1 Corinthians 1 and verse number 2, because you're a saint, you've been sanctified. Now, you know, you've been set apart is what that means. You have been set apart from your sins. That means that God no longer identifies you with your sins. You've been sanctified. In 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 2, as a saint, you and I are going to judge the world one day. According to 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 3, you and I are even going to judge angels one day. Now hang with me on Wednesday nights and we'll get there and I'll talk about that. We've been going through the book of Revelation and we've been talking about some wild stuff that's going to take place during the tribulation period. And if you think things are wacky right now with humans, you wait until the tribulation period comes along. If you think our leaders of our country right now are off their rocker, you wait until the tribulation period when the Antichrist begins to ramp those things up. It's going to get wild. And so we've been going through some of those things on Wednesday nights. And so you see that you and I are going to judge the world and judge angels according to 1 Corinthians 6. In Ephesians 1.15 and Colossians 1 and verse number 4, you now have a love for other saints that you didn't have before. 
You couldn't even know how to love until you came to know the Lord Jesus Christ who is love. God is love, the Bible says. You couldn't even love right. Your, your love and my love was flawed until we met Jesus Christ. And then in Ephesians 1 verse 13 and 14 and verse 18, and then 2 Timothy 2.12, Colossians 1.12, as a saint of God, you have an inheritance. Now, we've got, some, we've got inheritance, and I can't labor there and spend a lot of time on that, but there's some things that God has in store for you and I that are saved that if we'll suffer with Him, then we'll also get to do some other things with Him. And then we find in Colossians 1.26 and 1 Corinthians 2.10 that you receive revelation that you could not receive before. You see, before you got saved, you couldn't understand the Bible. When, when a man, before he gets saved, when he comes to the Bible, he looks at that thing and it looks like just Greek to him. He can pick up on words and he can kind of intellectually see some things in there, but he can't really know what God is getting at. Why? Because he doesn't have the Spirit of God in him. The Bible tells us that he's spiritually discerned until he comes to know the Lord Jesus Christ and receives the Holy Spirit of God. So now that you're saved, you can receive some revelation. I'm glad to know that God does reveal things to us. I'm glad to know that God just doesn't say, well, I'll save you, but then you've got to do the guesswork from here on out. No, God doesn't work that way. He gave us a book so that we can understand it. He gave us a Holy Spirit so that it can open our eyes and give us light on the Word of God. So now, as a saint, you receive revelation that you could not receive before. So again, I go back and say that I'm glad to know that because I'm a child of God, I am right now here in this very moment a saint of God, not by any works that I have done, but according to His mercy, He saved me. It's all Jesus Christ. And that's why we can say that this morning. So we notice that our, we have a position as a church-age saint, but we, and, and, and it's a saint. <laughs> I just really gave away my point. But then number two, we notice that we're called brethren. Look in verse 2, he says, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ. So that's who he's writing this letter to. He's writing to the faithful, uh, the faithful brethren and the saints that are at, in Colossae. And so we notice that that's another position that we hold. But the, but the two are tied together. I mean, if you're a saint, you're a brethren. If you're a brethren, you're a saint. Notice over and over again throughout the Bible what God does, uh, or what Paul says, actually. Through, throughout his entire writings, Paul talks about the brethren. Now, a lot of folks don't like Paul. They think he's arrogant, and he's this and that. And, and that's not what Paul means by this when he says this here in Romans chapter 1 and verse number 13. He said, now, I would not have you ignorant brethren. Now, he didn't call them ignorant brethren. He said, I wouldn't have you be ignorant brethren. You know, ignorant means that you're just misinformed or you're uninformed or whatever, however you want to put that thing. It doesn't mean the same thing as stupid. You know, ignorant is, well, I didn't know the eye was on and I touched it, right? And I got burned. Stupid is, man, that's hot red. Let's figure out how hot it is. <laughs> now, that's stupid, right? There's a difference between ignorant and stupid. You know, it's kind of like, well, I know the light's red, but should I cross the street anyway? Okay, that might be stupid, right? Uh, but you know better than that. And so what Paul says in Romans 1 and verse 13, Now I would not have you ignorant brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. So Paul's purpose in writing to them was so that they wouldn't be ignorant. 
That's what Paul's writings were all through there. And we're going to look at some examples this morning about that. But Paul didn't want them to be ignorant. Paul wanted to be a help and wanted to be a blessing to the body of Christ. And he didn't want them to be ignorant. You know, and that's the thing about this. As a preacher, I don't have a lot to offer you. I can't pay your light bill for you. I can't pay your car payment for you. I can't give you materialistic things. But I can give you the Word of God. And I can try to help you not to be ignorant of the Word of God. And that's what I try to do Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. Now listen, I know many of you have been saved. Some of you have been saved for years and years and years. And maybe you know more than I'll ever know. And if that's the case, then thank God for it. But maybe there's not everybody in here knows it all. Maybe we haven't all arrived to where you've arrived right now. And so we're still growing. That's why we come to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. is because we want to we know more about Him. And so that's why God gave you a Bible. So Paul comes to him and he says, I'm writing this letter to you so that you won't be ignorant. Now that's the reason why we come to church, right? I mean, so that we won't be ignorant of the Bible. So, you know, we come to church trusting that what we're going to receive during the service is going to be something that's going to bear some fruit in our life. We don't just go to church just to, just to satisfy our conscience. If that's the only reason why you're coming to church, listen, I'm glad you're here this morning. I really am. But if that's the only reason why you're coming to church, can I assure you you're coming to church for the wrong reason. You ought to be here because you want to worship the Lord. And what that means is when you come to church, you, you come to church with the understanding that the pastor has got something from the Word of God to help me with my relationship with Jesus Christ. After all, that's my job. My job's not for you to come in here and make you feel better. You know, for, people's got a funny idea. You see, that's why the, that's why a lot of these other churches are growing by leaps and bounds. And I'm not saying that they're doing something wrong when they're being nice and things like that, but that's what they do. They don't have the truth, so they have to overcompensate for being really nice. So that's why people are flocking to it. They're making them feel good, making their flesh feel good. You know, you ever walked out of church and the preacher made you feel bad? Like, good night, man. He was really rough and it was heavy today, you know? And that ought to happen sometimes. And that's the way it ought to be. You know what? Because that shows me how far short I have fallen from what God wants me to be. So it's not up to me to blame the preacher for my shortcomings. It's up to me to own it and to do something about it. That's my job. You see, that it's to reveal to you the things that you won't reveal to yourself. And so what the preacher does is he will uh, he'll let the, the, the people know the purpose of, of the preaching that he's preaching. That's what Paul was doing here. He said, I didn't want you to be ignorant, so I'm coming to you that I might bear some fruit. He said in verse 13, that I might have some fruit among you. I want some fruit among you. But you know what that means? If I get fruit among you, that means that you're bearing fruit. Because we're all in this thing together. We're laboring together. We're working together to make this work of God take place. You see, God uses me and you together. It's not that, you know, it's big me and little you. It doesn't work that way. That's not the way God set it up at all. That's not the way that works. But nonetheless, God has put somebody in the position to preach the Word and to teach the Word. And that's my, that's my job here this morning. But Paul says, don't be ignorant about some things. That's what he's saying. Now, if you're following along with me, Romans chapter number 11. Let's see here. Romans chapter number 11. And look at verse number 25. Paul doesn't want him to be ignorant about something else. You see, we've got a position as a church-age saint. We're brethren. And Paul says... Look, folks, I don't want the saints of God to be ignorant brethren. And so he says in Romans 11 and verse 25, For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery. So now he's got something else. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant of. He says, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of of Gentiles be come in. 
All right? So there's some things to unpack there. Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant about something. What is it? It's a mystery. Now, there are seven mysteries. We've taught these mysteries uh, over the years, and we'll probably give them to you again before it's all over with, but here's one of these mysteries. He says, lest you should be wise in your own conceit. Well, what is it? That blindness, in part, has happened to Israel. You know what that means? That tells me that the church has not replaced Israel. This replacement theology, which is connected to Calvinism, is wrong. The church or, or the church didn't take the Jews' place, the church didn't take Israel's place, and God is not done with the Jew. God's still going to go back to dealing with the Jew. God's got something for the Jew. The truth of the matter is you've got the Old Testament all the way to the tribulation period of the millennium, and God stuck the church age in there, but the church never replaced Israel. Well, God's going to take the church out of here and He's going to go back dealing with the Jew in the tribulation period. He says that blindness in part has happened to Israel. What does that mean? That means right now the Jew has the scales pulled over their eyes right now, for the most part. You ever tried to win a Jew to the Lord? You won't use the New Testament hardly to do it. You have to use the Old Testament, typically the first five books of the New Testament, in order to win a Jew to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you see, they rejected Jesus Christ when He came the first time. You know, he came to his own, his own received him not. So they were blinded. And what happened is God turned from the Jew and started dealing with the Gentile, calling out a Gentile bride, the church. But the church never replaced the Jew. And you find that here in the passage because he says that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. So it's not that he's done with them forever. They're not going to be blinded forever. They're only going to be blinded until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. You'll remember over in Lamentations 5, I believe verse number 5, the Jews said that the crown has fallen from our head. What crown? The crown to the kingdom of heaven. That crown to that literal, visible, physical kingdom has fell from their head. And now in 606 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar comes down. You remember the book of Daniel? Nebuchadnezzar comes down and he destroys Jerusalem. And that's where you got Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You've got those fellows there. And he takes them captive. And so then what he does is he takes them out of there. And you know what that happens? Nebuchadnezzar is a Gentile. And that starts the times of the Gentiles. And that thing runs all the way through there until you get to the end of the tribulation period. You start out with, who's Nebuchadnezzar king over? Babylon, right? He's king over Babylon. All right, so then his grandson comes along and his grandson says, go fetch the, the, the vessels out of the house of God and let's, let's drink out of them. And they, so they put wine in it, fermented wine in it, and began to drink out of it. And, and so God got really mad. And you'll remember the writing on the wall, many, many tickle you farson. God's numbered his days and he's finished and he's going to strip the kingdom from him and all of that. And so he comes along and he dies that, that night and he takes the kingdom. And so now it's no longer the Babylonian kingdom or empire empire and now God splits that thing and it's two kingdoms it's the Medes and the Persians so now you've got Darius and 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 Cyrus now you've got two kings you've got two systems there all right so then God finishes that thing and then after that kingdom is done then he moves on to the Grecian kingdom the Grecian empire and then when that one's finished he moves on to the Roman empire you see there was some progression to that thing and now it brings you to the Roman empire you say well who's in control today Rome you remember when Jesus Christ was walking on the earth and Jesus said, render the things unto Caesar that's Caesar's and the things unto God that's God? Caesar, Rome. Rome was in power in Jesus' day. Nothing's changed today. Rome's still in power. You just can't see it as prevalent today as you could many years ago. But Rome is in power today and they will be all the way. When we get to the book of Revelation, I think I forget what chapter it's at, but when we go through there, you're going to see the mystery Babylon. And what you're going to see is you're going to see that's connected with Rome. 
See, Rome's going to be in power in the tribulation period. But when Jesus Christ comes back at the end of the tribulation period, He's going to destroy that Gentile uh, control. And He's going to set up His own kingdom. And that's where the fullness of the Gentiles become in at that point right there. You see, God's not done with Israel. God is still, got a, God is still going to give them the kingdom. He's not done with them. You remember when the Lord was... Um, he died and buried and rose again. And before His ascension... Remember, we talked about this recently, that he went away in clouds. But there was something else over there in chapter number 1 that we didn't talk about. But you'll remember one of the questions, I mean, about all the questions that the disciples could have asked the Lord before he took off, one of the questions they asked was this right here in Acts 1 and verse number 6. It said, When they therefore were come together, the disciples, they asked of him, the Lord, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? You know what they were looking for? I mean, all through there, for three and a half years of the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ, here you've got Jesus preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And if, if the Jew will accept me, then I'll sit on the throne of David and I'll be your king, I'll be your Messiah. And they rejected him. And those disciples followed him everywhere he went. And then he was crucified and buried and rose again. What are they asking about? The kingdom. They're still thinking the Lord's going to sit on David's throne. But he didn't. Why? Because it's postponed. He ascended back and he's seated, he seated at the right hand of the Father and he's going to come back one of these days at the end of the tribulation period. Of course, he's coming to get the church first, seven-year tribulation, and then he's coming back to establish his kingdom. That's what Paul's talking about in Romans chapter number 11 and verse number 25. He doesn't want us to be ignorant of that. He doesn't want the Romans to be ignorant of that, but he doesn't want you and I. This applies to you and me. He doesn't want us to be ignorant of the fact that God is not done with the Jew. You see, let's not be ignorant of that. And that's some good stuff right there. I mean, I could unpack a whole lot more in that, but there's a lot there to be said. And so now let's come to 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. You got a position as a church age saint. You're a brethren, and you're you're not supposed to be an ignorant brethren. Why? Because you got the Bible. God gave you sixty six books in the King James Bible, and He doesn't want you to be ignorant of one word in that book. It said, "Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God." Right? So it's every word. It's not just one word. I believe every word is inspired of God. I believe that the I believe the I've said this before. I believe the chapter breakdown and stuff like that. That's inspired by God. The numbers in there, the way the verses are laid out, I believe all that's inspired of God. I'll go a step further. I believe that even the punctuation is inspired of God. I believe that. There's places in your Bible where a comma represents a 2,000 year period. Man, that's got to be inspired of God, you know. Man couldn't do that kind of thing. Man would mess it up. There'd be errors and mistakes in it. But I'm glad to know there's no mistakes in my Bible. All right, 1 Corinthians 10, look at verse number 1. He says, Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant. Now you see, some people would come to the Bible and if you're of a prideful mindset, you're going to get offended at that. But I'm not offended at God revealing the Word of God to me. I'm not offended at what Paul says there. That's not even what he means. That's not the way. You're taking it wrong. Your pride has blinded you from how Paul is laying this thing out. He said, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and the sea and did eat the same spiritual meat. You know, that's the man that fell from heaven. Remember, they crossed over the Red Sea. God parted the waters for them. And verse 4 says, and did all drink the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock 
rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. Remember, Moses smote that rock and that rock brought forth water. And so they, you know, he's just reminded them, uh, us of the stories of the Old Testament. He says in verse 5, But with many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to them, excuse me, to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. So he's telling them about things in the Old Testament. He talks about the serpent. He talks about uh, fornication in verse 8. And uh, uh, let's see, I'm just skipping down through here. He said, neither let us tempt Christ as some of them tempted also in destroyed of serpents. Uh, you'll remember the fiery serpents in the Old Testament. Uh, they murmured in verse number 10 and they were destroyed by the destroyer. Now look at verse 11. Now all these things happened unto them for example. Examples. What things? Those Old Testament things. They all happen for examples. That's what ensample means. And they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. That's, so Paul is saying we're not to be ignorant of the Old Testament. He, you know, there's a group that, that, that believes that you don't worry about any part of the Bible other than what Paul said. And if Paul didn't say it, you throw it out. That's not the way it works. There's some things in First and Second Peter that applies to the body of Christ today. You talk about the blood and things like that. So you can't just do away with it just simply because Paul didn't say it. And so you're not to do away with the Old Testament. Why? Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant of that because there's some things you can learn from the Old Testament if you'll study them and you'll read them. There's some things in there that'll help you. I mean, Israel, didn't they commit adultery? Well, that'll help you not to idolize things, right? I mean, if you'll take it and learn from it, Israel committed fornication. I believe that's a pretty good admonition not to commit. Uh, didn't Israel murmur and complain? Verse number 10, I believe you and I. That'll teach you and I to quit murmuring and complaining all the time when we don't get our way. Well, it's going to rain for the next seven days now. Oh, my grass is going to be this high. You know, and we're just sitting around complaining. But then when you go through two months and you don't get any rain, then you're complaining because you didn't get any rain. See how we are? I mean, you better be careful how you complain because God just... See, that's like the children of Israel. They complain because they didn't have any, any, uh, anything to eat. So God rained manna down from heaven, so it was running out of their ears. And so you better be careful about that. We all might be getting a boat here before too long. You start complaining because we don't get no rain during the summer. And so we better appreciate what we get now, I, I guess is what I'm trying to say. All those Old Testament stories are examples for you and I today. And that's what verse number 11 tells us. And the, those, the reason that those things in the Old Testament can teach us some things about morality and spiritual lessons is because of verse number 13. He says in verse 13, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be able, excuse me, to be tempted above all that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. You see, all temptation is common to man. You know, what God wants you to get to the place of, and what Paul is saying, don't be ignorant. You're not the only one that goes through what you're going through. Oh, woe is me. It's always happened to me. You're always down the mouth about yourself. What about everybody else that's going through it? You can't see that because you're blinded by your own problems. And I'm not trying to belittle your problems, but people focus on themselves so much and it's all about them that they can't see that other people have got problems too. You know, I was able to walk up on the stage this morning. There are some people who can't walk up there right now. You see what I mean? There are some people, you know, I was able to walk down that hallway and I took one step, two step, one step, two You know what? And I didn't have to stop and take a breath. There's people that have to stop and take a breather and keep on. And there's some people, you're walking and your backs are hunched over like that. You know, there's different things. We could complain about this and complain about that, but we, at least we're not in the hospital with tubes sticking out of our body. I mean, at least I'm not bed fast. I'm not in a, stuck in a nursing home somewhere where I can't get out of the bed. 
I mean, there's a whole lot more worse things that could come upon you. What you say, what are you saying? I'm saying that the Old Testament ought not be uh, uh, neglected because if we're not careful, we'll get to the place where it's all about us and none about anybody else and we'll begin to complain and murmur and complain and murmur and God says, there hath no temptation taken you, but, but such as is common to man. Everybody, somebody's been through what you're going through at one time or another. I assure you that. I mean, you're not the only one that goes through problems. You're not the only one that has problems. Some people just don't show it like maybe others do. You see, the Old Testament was given for our example, for our ensample. And sure, it may be wrapped a little bit different package today. Maybe your situation might be a little different. I mean, technology and things are different today. I don't know. I don't read about automobiles in, in, the, in the Bible, but maybe somebody's in an automobile accident. And so they're going to face certain temptations. Then, and, and people in the Old Testament face it too. It just might be they fell off the camel. You know, they fell off the horse or something like that, you know. Maybe they got hurt that way. But there's, it's wrapped differently. Maybe the wrapping paper is a little bit thinner than it was back then. Or, you know, maybe, maybe your sin or your temptation is not that you're going to walk out on, on your uh, roof, uh, your top of your house and look out and see an, a woman bathing and she's naked. You know David, remember him? That's what he did. That might not be your sin. But maybe your sin will be late at, late at night when everybody's asleep and you're on the internet and you're looking at things you're not supposed to look at. You see, maybe that's the kind of sin that you've got today that you wouldn't have had back then, you see. It's just wrapped a little bit differently. But the Bible says there's no temptation that's taken you but such as is common to man. So Paul says don't be ignorant and allow those Old Testament passages to be a help to you today. Now, um... Let's see here. Look at chapter 12. Come over to chapter number 12. We've got just a few more minutes. I just want to look at, I don't know, just two or three more if we can. But you've got something as a church-age saint. And it's a position. And uh, you're a saint, and then you're, you're, you're called brethren or sisters. Sisters, brothers and sisters. All right, 1 Corinthians 12, look at verse number 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. See that? Paul's not saying that to belittle them. He's not saying it to to demean them. Paul is literally saying, I want want to inform you of some things. I don't want you to be ignorant of it. Verse 2, Ye know that ye were Gentiles carried away unto these dumb idols, it just means they can't speak, even as ye were led. Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost. Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. So what you notice here in this passage is that he doesn't want you to be ignorant of the fact that the Holy Spirit, he distributes gifts. Every saved person has a gift according to the Bible. There's no two ways about it. And there's different gifts. And he lists some of them there in verse 8, 9, and 10. And uh, some of them are in effect today and some of them are not in effect for today. But God, through the Holy Spirit, does give every saved person a gift. Every saint, every brother or sister in Christ has a gift. Um, Some brethren can have two or three gifts, but... All brethren have at least one gift. That's verse number 7. He said, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. See that? So everybody's got one. Everybody's got a gift. And it's the Holy Spirit's job to, 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 to pass that out. In verse number 11, he said, But all these worketh that one and the selfsame Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. Who does? As He will. As the Spirit wills. So He's the one, the Spirit's the one that divides this thing out. So it's up to you and me to find out what that gift is or gifts are and then we're to use them to the glory of God.
All right, let me move on. I'd, I'd spend a little more time on there, but I want to get a couple more. All right, come to 2 Corinthians chapter number 1. We're not supposed to be ignorant. Not supposed to be ignorant. Of what? Of the Word of God. Of the things of the Bible. In 2 Corinthians chapter number 1, and that's a process. You, can't, you don't just get saved and then learn it all just like that. It's a process over time. We're all still learning. We'll continue to learn. But as the longer you hang in there and the faithful, more faithful you are, the more you're going to learn about the Bible. There's going to, there's going to be light bulbs that just go click on. As you go along, it, I mean, the light's going to click on. I, I've seen it over the years as a pastor. I can look out and I can see somebody gets it. You know, I've preached it for a, a hundred times. And on that hundred and first time, somebody gets it and it clicks and they're like, I see it now. And that may be the way it is for you in something. So that's why, you want, that's why he talks about faithful brethren as well. So you need to be faithful. Sometimes that light clicks on when you're right in the middle of church service. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter, what I say? Chapter 1? Look at verse number 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 8 says, For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. That's a pretty bad way, isn't it? That's a pretty bad way. He said, but we had the sentence of death in ourselves. You ever had the sentence of death in you? I mean, they're on the verge of death. He said that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, which raiseth the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and doth deliver, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. And uh, then he goes on down to verse 11 and 12. But what you see here in this passage is that Paul doesn't want them to be ignorant of the struggles that Paul and them faced. You see, what's important about that? Well, Paul, again, if, if I can use the previous illustration about how people think it's all about them, how, why does it always happen to me? Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant of the trouble that we came across, that we had while we were in Asia. You know what you can do? You can learn from other people's troubles. You can learn from other people's struggles and trials and what they go through. And it might just save you from having to go through the same thing. Sometimes we're hard-headed, aren't we? Sometimes we don't listen. Sometimes God puts the handwriting on the wall, you know, so to speak, and we still don't listen. We go our own way, do our own thing, have our own way of thinking, and God time and time again is trying to show us differently. But as man, sometimes we're hard-headed. But Paul comes along here and he informs them that in their struggles to trust God and not in themselves. That's what he says in verse number 9. But we have the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves. But in who? In God which raiseth the dead. So when you go through things, he's telling you right here, don't trust in yourself, trust in God. God will get you through it. God will be the one to bring you through it. And he'll be the one that will deliver you from that. And that's what he talks about in verse number 10. In verse number 10, he informs them that God does and will and has and is delivering them, if I said that right. Uh, In verse number 10, it says, who delivered us from so great death. That'd be past tense, wouldn't it? Delivered? And doth deliver, that's present tense, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. That's future tense. So God has delivered us, God is delivering us, and God will deliver you and me. He says in verse number 11, and knowing you praying together, all praying together for him, helped him get through it. Isn't that something? Verse 11 said, ye also helping together, how? By prayer for us. Don't you think light if your prayers... I mean, prayers mean, I mean, sometimes when you're in a certain situation, prayers mean everything to me. 
You know, I mean, when I get up here and I preach on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, I'm hoping that you're praying for me. I'm hoping that you're praying that during the week that God will give me something from His Word that he'll, I could come in and be a blessing to you so that you can bear some fruit and that I can bear some fruit for that matter. But He said, For our rejoicing is this, in verse number 12, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation of the world and more abundantly to you word. See, Paul wanted to give them something here. He didn't want them to be uh, ignorant of some things right here. And Paul said, look, we've been through some struggles. We've been through some problems. And God brought us through it. And the same God that brought us through it is the same God will get you through it because he'll, he has delivered, he is delivering, and he will deliver. Because God is in the past, God's in the present, and God's in the future. God is omnipresent. But now let's close out with one more. I think this will be a good place to close out. I got several more, but I, I'll just leave it at this. But as a church-age saint, we have a position. And we're talking about the fact that we are brethren. And Paul said, I don't want you to be ignorant brethren. In 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4 and verse number 13, he says in 1 Thessalonians 4.13, But I would not have you to be ignorant brethren concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Now, Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning this thing right here. What is it? Concerning them which are asleep. That would be those that have gone on. They're in the grave. He said, I don't want you to be ignorant of some things concerning those that are in the grave and that have gone on. He said, that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. And so what he's telling you and me in verse number 14 is that we don't have to grieve like the world when it comes to, when it comes to this thing called death. If you're saved and your loved one is saved, look at verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. So God is assuring you that though your loved one is in the grave, the body's in the grave, the Bible says to be absent the body is present with the Lord, right? And so you've got full assurance and confidence that you're going to get to see Him one day. The world doesn't have that promise. You and I do. So Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant of that concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not. Now that's not a period after the word not. That's a comma. He didn't say that you're not to sorrow. That's, the, that's a misnomer. The thing about that is, is you do sorrow, but you don't sorrow like others that have no hope. Why? Because if you're saved and they're saved... We're going to all rise up and be together again one of these days. It's not an eternal separation if we're saved. So he's given us some hope is what he's doing. He's given us a, a, a truth about the blessed hope. In verse number 15 he says, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain of the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. He's letting you and I know that if we believe and our loved ones believe, then we're going to be going out of here together one of these days. Verse 16, For the Lord himself shall descend with heaven with three things. Number one, with a shout. Number two, with the voice of the archangel and number three with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first and somebody said one time that's how you know the Baptist church is going out of here first it said the dead in Christ shall rise first that's sad but in many cases that's true isn't it I'm glad we can come to church this morning and say amen aren't you I'm glad we can get excited just a little bit about what we believe I mean you're only going to go out of here when Jesus Christ comes back and live forever don't jump all up at one time and get excited you know I mean you know you've just got eternal life I mean don't just 
start running a lap around the building, you know. Don't get too excited now. You might give some of us a heart attack. Listen, we've got something to be excited about. We've got the truth of God's Word, knowing that He's going to descend one of these days, and we're going to be called up together to meet Him in the cloud. Now listen to verse number 18. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. He doesn't want you to be ignorant concerning the rapture of the church that you and I are going out of here one of these days. This is not it. Man, if this is it, then probably half of us would have took a handful of pills and checked out of here a long time ago. But thank God we've got a promise that Jesus Christ is coming back. He's taking us out of here to a far better land where there's no sin, no more death, no more tears, no crying. There's no more hospital bills. There's no more hospital medications or anything like that. But it's all pure and happy and holy and righteous in that city of God. There's something to be excited about, but it's not the fact that Maybe we're going to get a new president soon. You know, that's not, you know, you never know. That might not even happen either. I'm not a prophet. I'm not going to prophesy anything. But, but uh, anyway, just don't be ignorant, brethren, is all I can say. <laughs> don't be ignorant, brethren. <laughs> oh, my. I'm going to get myself in trouble. You know, that ought to be a comforting thing for us to know that we're going out of here one day. Whatever problem you've got, I mean, whether it be physical, financially, mental, whatever the issue might be, uh, Jesus is coming back. Amen. Now to be ignorant is to not to know. It's to be misinformed, uninformed. And Paul wants us to know, and he makes it very clear that we've got a position as people that live in the church age that are saved. We're a saint right now. We're not waiting to become a saint. We're a saint right now. And then the other thing is, is we're brethren. And Paul says, don't be ignorant, brethren. And so that's some things about our position as a church-age saint this morning.